I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Sean Thompson, author of The Surfer and the Sage, A Guide to Survive and Ride Life's Waves. Veteran world champion surfer Sean Thompson, who is on most lists of the top 10 greatest surfers of all times, shares with us, with us his experience on overcoming life's obstacles, drawing on the pain of losing a child and the strengths he acquired becoming a sports leader. Along with co-writer, poet, philosopher Noah Benche, he employs surfing as a met- metaphor to analyze eight breaking waves of life, including loss, depression, aging, and relationship changes. He also emphasizes the code method, which stems from his decades of surfing experience and is a simple system to find purpose in everyday life. He's learned to ride the waves of daily existence and is eager to share the inspiring power he has gained on his personal path with others, looking for ways to live better and get more out of life. Uh, He launched The Surfer in the Stage on NBC's Today Show and a Motivational Monday a couple weeks ago, and he is past board member of Surf Rider Foundation and the Santa Barbara Boys and Girls Club. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Hey, Catherine. It's great to be on. I'm actually coming to you from uh, Cape Town in South Africa. I now live in Santa Barbara, California, but I'm working on a new project here. So it's exciting to come to you uh, across the miles. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you here. And I know that you're always working, it seems to me, at least when reading your bio, always working on a new project. But let's start with this, this project, this book. What is the code method? And really, how were you able to use the code method when you lost your son? Matthew, in that terrible accident, as I mentioned in the introduction. So the code method is a simple system of of self-empowerment. It started from uh, a simple code that I'd written to inspire a group of young people that were coming down to a famous surfing beach called Wincon that was facing an environmental problem. And a a great uh, surfing environmentalist had tasked me with uh, doing something to inspire 100 kids. He said, Sean, you've got a terrific budget solve this environmental problem that's going to cost about $30 million. He said, you got a hundred bucks. So <laughs> I went home that night and I thought, what can I do to inspire a group of kids that's going to come in at a tidy sum of a hundred dollars? So I wrote 12 lines, every line beginning with, I will, the principal lessons that surfing had taught me about life, about resilience and perseverance and camaraderie and courage and honor and integrity and uh, I wrote 12 lines. I will always paddle back out. I will never turn my back on the ocean. I will realize that all surfers are joined by one ocean. 12 simple metaphors. And I printed up a little card. And I printed up 100 of them and handed them out to the kids. And uh, the kids really loved the cards. And the cards turned as well and ultimately turned into a book. And from the book, I started talking to large groups and large corporations around the world, rehab clinics, uh, prisons, and some of the world's largest corporations about a simple way to activate purpose through writing your own code. And uh, over the last uh, 20 years, I've, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, and, and many people, hundreds of thousands of them have written their own code, and we found it has a, a terrific success. It's a simple way to activate purpose, which is really uh, committed long-term intent to achieve something meaningful for yourself and the, and the broader world. And this is just a simple way to do it. It's a 15-minute exercise. Uh, since I've been here in South Africa over the last three days, I've spoken to a number of companies and 
different groups, and, and, and I love doing it. It's just really... I mean, I had a person come up to me yesterday. I was working with, uh, with a group of wine producers, and he said to me, hey, Sean, man, I changed my life yesterday. So it's wonderful to be able to show people a simple tool which they can use through their own words to find a new path. But purpose, and I think you've mentioned this, it's purpose with passion too. Don't th- you have to combine the two? You have a purpose and then you have the passion has to accompany the purpose if it's to work? Yes, I think passion is a, a fundamental driver of our mission and, and purpose in life. But it's, it's interesting that over the years, I, I've read millions of, of lines of code that people have written. Um, and I've found that this exercise does a couple of things. One is it creates personal commitment and, and, and a personal way forward. But when you share this code, when you share this purpose in the form of 12 lines, it really uh, activates emotional connectivity and it activates unity. And one of the fundamental problems uh, in the world and particularly in the United States is this uh, disunity and disconnection. You have Republicans on one side of the valley, you have Democrats on the other side of the valley, and in the middle, you just have this vacant space. And I found that the code is a way to create a bridge it's really a wonderful way to create a bridge and show people that while we're all fundamentally different and that we write different things, our basic value structure is the same. And our life purpose can be identified by two simple lines of code. And one is, I will be better. People write about being better. They want to be better husbands. They want to be better spouses. They want to be better fathers. They want to be closer to their faith. They want to be more empathetic. And then the second line is, I will help others be better. Altruism and doing good is part of our human nature. And I think if people realized how, how similar we are and how essentially we have kindness at our core, people might activate this kindness a little bit more and be more respectful of one another. And perhaps we might end up having a better world. Well, by sharing our purpose, as you say, in the code or in the affirmations, it makes it real. In, I'm a social worker, so in social worker terms, I mean, this fits really well because once you write it down and then once you share it with other people, it becomes real. It's not just in your head. And then there's sort of a responsibility Correct. to <laughs> to live out that purpose or to, right? Um, and I think, yes. as you, yeah, and there's, that's key. There's, that, there's, yeah. there's explicit and implied accountability. So, you know, accountability is really important and I think in the context of, of what's happened in America, especially over the last couple of years, there's this perception that people are no longer accountable, that they can do what the hell they want without any consequences. And when you make this statement or you make this, this uh, when you create these 12 lines and you verbalize it in front of others, it creates this, this wonderful connectivity and accountability. I will be a better father. If you say that in front of a, peer group, or I will be a better team member, or I will do what I say I will do, or I will be a mentor, or I'll be a lifelong learner. It creates resonance for yourself, but also when you say it in a group, it does create this, well, I've said it now, I better execute on it, because you don't want to be thought of as, as, as you know, breaking your promises in front of your, uh, your, your close group, your tribe. And 
I, I don't know if I said this in the introduction, but your book is, if you describe it, it's not a clinical book, but rather it's an inspirational guidebook, The Surfer and the Sage, for people who suffer from anxiety, depression, and or disconnection. So how does it, let's talk specifically, how does it help? Let's take someone who's suffering from depression. And you, know, you said you've worked in prisons, you've worked with all different kinds of groups, including corporations, individuals. How does that work? How does it work for someone who's suffering depression? There's so much de- clinical depression now sure. in, our, in our culture, well, in our society, maybe worldwide. So I'm certainly not, um, <clears throat> you know, and I don't pass myself off as being an expert on how I can allay depression. All I can tell you is my experience over the last 20 years with hundreds of thousands of people in all sorts of different groups from rehab clinics, prisons, schools, the most famous universities in the world, the largest corporations in the world. And what I do, particularly through COVID, so through COVID I spoke to about 100,000 people. I ask people, send me one word that describes how you're feeling. Right at the beginning of the event, it's an anonymous text that people can send me, and I build a word cloud right then, right there. So I've seen how 100,000 people are feeling over the last two years. It's sort of a little microcosm, but you know, it just needs to be 100 people to be in some way statistically relevant. The four words have been stress, anxiety, depression, and disconnection. And these are from people... Not only people that perhaps are in a troubled environment like a, uh, a, a prison or a rehab clinic or PTSD survivors, but these are people who fully employed at some of the top companies in the world. They're facing the same four words. I call it a sad mindset, stress, anxiety, depression, disconnection. So how can I help? I don't offer a prescription. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a trained a social worker. I just offer a prescription. I offer four stories, uplifting stories of how I've dealt with uh, issues in my life. I tell a story of resilience and perseverance. I tell a story about connectivity, about connecting deeply other than remaining in the present moment. I tell a story about commitment and I tell a story about courage. So in many ways, um, as I've seen, as social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists will engage in a similar form of talk therapy. I just engage in story therapy. I just tell my stories. And then, once I've told four stories, I ask people, write your code, 12 lines. Every line begins with, I will. Write it in 15 minutes, stand up, and state your code to others. And what I found, and in the one small-scale academic study that has studied my work, this is what we have found, what happens when people write their code. Firstly, it creates this feeling of accountability, both implied and explicit, because you've made this statement in front of others. It creates this feeling of commitment, that you are committing to something noble. You're committing to being a better spouse. Committing to being a better father, just committing to being a better human being. It also creates, because it's I will, it's not now, but it's in the immediate future, it's creating this hope and it's creating this feeling of optimism. 
also because it's so simple and it's so clear, there's this discipline associated with this new path that you're embarking upon. And then it creates both empathy and a feeling of respect for others. And then it creates this engagement with one's true purpose and mission in life, which is to be better and to be help, to help others be better. So what we've heard from people that have been depressed and troubled, man, you're giving me hope. Just read a letter out this morning. I spoke to a group of about 100 people this morning. And I read a letter that a young girl had sent me. Sean, more than anything else, you've given me hope. And other young people have written, I will live another day. So this commitment creates this hope. And then this knowledge that the sun will rise tomorrow, no matter how dark the night is right now the sun will rise tomorrow. So I like to think that people ask me, what, Sean, what do you do now? I used to be a pro surfer. What do you do now? I used to be an entrepreneur. You're writing books. But what do you really do? I say I'm a purpose activist. I help activate purpose. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, good, that's a good purpose. I want to get back, though, too, because <clears throat> you are inspiring, obviously, and you've inspired thousands of people. But... As I at the question, I guess the first question I asked you in the interview is like your personal story because actually I I watched your TEDx talk uh, about uh, your personal survival when your son died. I mean that's one of the or the worst thing that could happen to a parent. And how do, how does that fit into all of what you've been talking about um, and your ability to help other people? You because you've told your story. Yes, I, um, my wife and I, we, we've been married now for 35 years. Uh, we lost our son, and I think one of the great achievements of my life is that, that we managed to stay together after this dreadful loss because certainly statistics show that many couples, when they lose, a, lose their son or lose their daughter, you know, the marriage rips apart. Um, so I can just tell you what I've learned on um, on my journey from from grief into um, a new life. Um, one is that when you suffer, and all of us on this planet will at one time or another suffer, perhaps you're not going to lose a child, but you lose a parent and you lose someone or something that you love. Um, I think there's many different stages towards finding solace um, after suffering and, and, and grief. But there's certain steps that one can take, and all I can say is my perspective on it is, is, is this. And firstly, there has to be absolute unequivocal forgiveness um, for oneself and for one's partner and for the person that you love. My son died playing a dangerous game called the choking game. Uh, all the students at school wore school tires. Um, and he played this game that he heard about at school. He was 15 and a half. And we don't know whether it was a victim of peer pressure, or, but we do know that it was a game that we found out about it at school. So, you know, why didn't we know about it? Why didn't my wife know about it? Why didn't I know about it? 
that has to be swept away. There just has to be this absolute forgiveness. And also there has to be this acceptance. We have to accept the what is, not the what if. Well, what if I'd have done that? Or what if my wife had done that? Or what if my son had done that? It's, you have to accept the inevitability of that loss and the actuality. And it, and it is terrifically hard to not stay in the past, but to understand that you'll never physically be able to put your arms around your boy again. So that acceptance is, is very, very hard. Then one has to just forgive, absolutely, and never, ever have to sweep away any, 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 any guilt or, or blame. And then what I found is that one has to look to friends and family for comfort and just accept that comfort that they can give you. And then look back to your faith, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Muslim, is, is, is look to your faith. And when I lost my beautiful boy, I remember I used to go to the synagogue where I had my mitzvah back in South Africa and I'd sit there, uh, sometimes by myself, sometimes with, with my wife, and I'd look up in, in every synagogue in the world, there's an ark where they have the five books of Moses, the Torah, and above it they have this light. It's called Ned Tremed, it's the everlasting light, and, and I look at that light, and that light became a symbol for me of, of enduring faith and also became a symbol of sunrise, that the sun would rise again. So connect back to your faith and then get involved with a noble project in which you can help others. Because when you help others, you help yourself. And I got involved in talking to students and doing uh, uh, talking to different groups. And yes, I'd speak to do these big paid corporate events. But what I do is every time I get a paid corporate event, I do a free one. And sometimes I'll ask the um, the corporate to nominate someone. Otherwise, I'll just do it. I'm going. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to a jail. I'm going to go to a, a poor school, or I'm going to go to speak to a group of PTSD survivors. Whatever it may be, but. Do something in which you can help others. And then find a cool, interesting, exciting, challenging project. I made a film uh, six months after I lost a beautiful boy and was dedicated to my son. It was called Busting Down the Door. It was a, a, a movie that had an amazing soundtrack with David Bowie and Iggy Pop and Leonard Cohen and, and was about how a group of young guys changed surfing. And it was totally related to my passion. And then connect with nature, whatever it is. Maybe you want to, like for me, going surfing what was a wonderful way to connect to nature or just take a walk along the beach or take a walk on the mountains or jump on a, on a bike. But that connectivity and immersion in nature gives you a feeling of humility and it gives you a feeling of this is how I fit into the mosaic um, of the world. <clears throat> and then lastly, know and understand that whoever you lost is still there. Your spirit still burns brightly. And listen, listen to that spirit. Don't deny that spirit. Don't 
think that what you are feeling is imagination. You know, when I lost my boy, one hour before I got the terrible news that, that he died, I phoned my wife, he picked up the phone, he goes, hey, Dana, he said, I want to read you something. And he read me this essay. And it was a beautiful essay. And, and in the essay were the words, the light shines ahead. And I went, wow, Matthew, these words are so beautiful. So I said, where, where did you find this essay? She said, Dad, I wrote it today for school. I went, wow, Matthew, that's amazing. And uh, I said, uh, I love you. And he said, I love you too, Dad. And he put down the phone, and I was going to call, call the next day, and those words just jumped out at me. The light shines ahead. So an hour later, I got the call. And my, my life just imploded and everything broke down. But I, I remembered those words, the, the light shines ahead. And after I lost him, in surfing, the feeling of exhilaration, surfers called it being stoked. That's kind of like this amazing feeling when you ride a wave, you just feel exhilarated and you feel excited, you feel, you feel stoked. So my stoke had gone out after I lost my boy. I had no desire to go surfing again. And a friend of mine from school kept phoning me, hey, Sean got to take you surfing. Sean, I've got to take you surfing. And I went, nah, nah, I have no, nah, no desire. And then eventually, I went, okay, I'll come surfing. He said, Sean, I'm going to take you to a break you never surfed before. So we drove up the coast, and uh, it's on the east coast, Durban, my old hometown. And we woke up early in the morning, and we walked down these steps to this break. And as we were walking down towards the break, this beautiful sun was rising up out of the Indian Ocean, was boiling up out of the ocean. I jumped on my board and I paddled out into the water and I started, started crying. I was very, very emotional. And when the waves washed over me as I paddled out, they just like washed away my tears. I went, wow, I can just feel Matthew so close to me, Matthew's name in Hebrew means gift from God. And as I paddled out, these waves just washed my tears away. And I paddled out and I could feel Matthew was close and I caught a wave and it just felt good. And I paddled back out again and I caught a wave and I felt good. And I felt like I could find happiness again. I just had this feeling of, of hope. And I caught another wave, and I washed more tears away. And I paddled up to my mate. And I said, hey, gee, what's the name of this break? Because surfers have very, very descriptive words for the names of the breaks they write, Sunset Beach in Hawaii, Gamesline Pipeline, all these famous famous descriptive words for these, these breaks. So I said to my mate, what's the name of the break? He must remember my son had written those words for light shines ahead. He said, it's called sunrise. How about that? And it was like Matthew was close, that Matthew was with me. Matthew had taken me and encouraged me to come to that break. And I encourage anyone that's had losses, the sun will rise again. The light will shine ahead. And that you can find happiness again, the darkness will give way to light. That's a very encouraging, obviously in, inspirational story. And um, it's thank you for sharing that with us, telling your story. I think that's the most meaningful. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. So, and I'm readers, I'm sure what the name of the book is The Surfer and the Sage, A Guide to Survive and Ride Life's Waves. And we've been talking to Sean Thompson. Um, 
and the book. Uh, Sean, where, can, what website can we go to uh, to find out? Because it's not just this book, but I mean, it's your life's work. You've done so, as you say, you've you're been so engaged in a lot of di- other or a lot of different kinds of things. So, uh, what websites can we go to to get more information about that? Well, you can just go to Amazon to to pick up a book. But you can yeah. go to my website. There's lots of info there. It's Sean Thompson, S-H-A-U-N-T-O-M-S-O-N.com. You can go there, and uh, there's all sorts of different uh, uh, information on the site. But, you know, we do have a new beta test on the site, which is really interesting. And everyone can create their own tribe and invite people to write the code. So as uh, you can create Catherine's code, and you can invite all your friends, and you can all write your code together and you can see everyone else's code, and that way you can create this wonderful spirit of emotional engagement and create a positive wave that runs right around the world. So that's, that's what I want to do. I mean, I actually want every single student in every single school in the nation, when they enter middle school, when they enter high school, and when they enter university, is write your code, 12 lines, every line beginning with I will. And I'm convinced, and I absolutely believe that the world would be a better place if everyone wrote and shared their code. Well, that's what I'm going to do after interviewing you. I'm going to write Catherine's code. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good, thanks for being Catherine. on the show it's today. Been, it's been a, such a wonderful pleasure, and I can, I can feel and hear that you've got a very, a very warm heart. And, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share my story and also to, to tell people about the power of the code. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 